Um, well, we're in chapter 19, um, page 39, if you have a small book. What is it? Water? It's inside? Yes. Ah, that's wild. That means the leak is, they didn't fix all the leaks some way. Uh-huh. They just diverted it to the next. I mean, they put a brand new roof on it. They You'd did. think that would do away with it. They did put I think the problem is, that I think that doghouse up there is, is receiving water somehow and it's coming through the ceiling. It's the only thing that could be, I can imagine. Huh. I'll tell them, yeah, I'll send them a message. All right, so we're talking about the law of God because this is a great, uh, it can be an intense subject. I'm not sure that it will bring much intensity in here, uh, but there is a lot of conflict about what to do about the law. What is the law? Do we Should we even care about the law? And those kind of things, um, what, what as Christians do we have to do with the law? Because there's a lot of, you know, there's Bible verses that say, hey, we're not under the law, we're under grace. So what does that mean? But there's other passages that say the law is good. And Jesus said, for example, and right before the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And not one little tiny, teeny bit of it will pass away before all is fulfilled. So we've got to deal with all that stuff. You know, what does that mean? And so here, I think our confession uh, does a wise thing by beginning with um, talking about Adam and the fact that a law, and, and if you look with me here, we read this last week, but we'll see it again. God gave Adam a law of comprehensive obedience written in his heart. And so we talked about the fact that Adam was created with the law already in his heart. Before God said, you can eat of everything in the garden except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of that. Before that, there was already the law of God was written on the heart of Adam, right? He already knew right from wrong. He knew he should obey what God said. So when God comes and gives the positive law, don't eat this, Adam knew he shouldn't eat that. Why? Because he already had the law of God written in his heart. And that's why the New Testament comes along in Romans chapter 2, for example, and says, hey, even when the Gentiles who do not have the law written, the Bible, when they do something right, it's a law unto themselves. Why? And it goes on to say because they have the law of God written in their heart. So no person on earth is without excuse. So we, uh, we can't say, well, what about the people who never had a Bible? We need to try to get them Bibles, but they have the law of God written in their heart. And the law that is written in their heart, Romans 1 says, is enough to condemn them. So everybody's without excuse. But it goes on to say, God did give this precept not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And by these, the law written on his heart and this positive law outwardly i say positive because it was in addition to the law already written on his heart god obligated him and all his descendants that's us everybody's ever been born came from adam it obligated us to personal total exact and perpetual obedience and god promised life if adam fulfilled it and threatened death if he broke it and he gave adam the power and ability to keep it and that's something important to remember um this idea of law and grace is important because it began right there in the garden. Here's the law. What did God say? You break it, you're going to die. But yet they broke it and they didn't die. Why? Because of grace. So God covered them 
And he made a promise right there, of course, in Genesis chapter 3 that one day he would take away this curse that Adam had brought upon us. And we know that was uh, pointing to Jesus and the gospel. So law and grace have always been right there together, and we've got to know what to do about them. Adam was obligated to keep the law. And this tells us, because the Bible teaches us, and it gives us some passages there to look at, that ever since Adam, every man since Adam has, and woman has been obligated to keep the law. So it's not completely 100% correct to say we're not under the law. We are condemned by the law. We are expected to keep the law. It is necessary for us to not be lawbreakers and to keep the law in order to be saved. You say, wait a minute now. You're talking about legalism and you're talking about something crazy. We can't do that, right? Adam didn't do it. We can't do it. The good news is Jesus did. So we are saved. I said this last week. We are saved by works. We're just saved by the works of Jesus, not our own works. Okay? Doesn't it say that the law is our tutor? It is. Yes. In Galatians it says it was a tutor to, to bring us to Christ. And that's one of the things we're, we're going to talk about in a minute. Absolutely. So it keeps going. The same law that was first written in the heart can continue to be a perfect rule of righteousness after the fall. So there again, still men are obligated to keep it. It was delivered by God on Mount Sinai in the Ten Commandments. So there again, what are the Ten Commandments? They are simply the moral law that God had written on the heart of man summarized. Now it's not comprehensive. The Ten Commandments are not every single bit of the moral law but it is the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. So if you want to get to God, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. And we know that none of us have ever done that. And none of us can. But Jesus did. So again, our hope is not in us, but in Christ. Um, but it keeps going. Um, and tell, it explains the Ten Commandments. Um, the first four commandments have our duty to God. And the other six, our duty to humanity. And if you remember, we just studied this not long ago that the rich young ruler came to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? And so Jesus said, oh, if you want to do something to be saved, then you know the law and the commandments, keep them. Well, I've done those. Okay, well, then do them and you shall live. But then he said, but one thing you, you, you lack, sell everything you have and take up the cross and follow me. And he went away sad. Because what Christ was in essence saying you think you've kept the law, but you really haven't. Because you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself. There is something that you've loved above God. Because here is the Savior standing right before in front of you, and you can't see it. Had he known who Christ was, and he really wanted salvation, I think the point of the story is, he would have left everything and said, I will follow you, because I want to be saved. I'm asking you, what can I do to be saved? You're telling me what I can do, but I realize I can't do that. And so the answer would have been, then drop it and follow me. It's not a, you know, unfortunately people have looked at that and said, okay, well, if you want to be a Christian, you can't be wealthy, you can't have anything. And if somebody said, you need to have a yard sale and sell everything you got, or else you're not going to be a faithful Christian. That wasn't the point. I think the point was, you want to get to God? It's through the law. Because the law is simply the heart of God. Righteousness, right? That's what it says here. It is a comprehensive standard of righteousness. If you want to get to God, you've got to keep the law. And the, the rich young ruler should have done like what we have to do and say, I can't do that. Exactly. But Jesus did. And there he was, following. And that's what we do. We just, we kind of, in a sense, throw up our hands and say, I can't. And you recognize Jesus can't. That's the gospel. 
Now, so what I want to do, God, I've got so many places I want to go. Um, let me do this because where we're at. Have you ever heard the, I, the un, this thing of three uses of the law? All right, what I'm talking about now, I need to put this out there so this makes more sense. Because basically the law of God does have a purpose. And its purpose is what I've been saying. Because the very first point, the very first purpose of the law in the scripture, all of the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the law written on our hearts, the standard of good and evil, the purpose of it is to crush us and show us our need for Christ, right? Which is what I've been saying. It, it shows us our need for Jesus. So you can write that however, um, need for Christ. So it has application still. Ever since Adam, the law is still there. This is why we don't do away. This is why we don't say the Old Testament doesn't matter. Throw that away, and we'll talk about only the New Testament. It shows us our need for Christ. The things I've just been trying to do, I've been trying to point out. What does the law do? You look at it, and you say, well, that's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. You want to get to God? Uh, be like God. Don't sin. Well, it's too late. I've already sinned. Okay, well, how do I undo that? You can't. Sin, you sin against an eternal God, so your sin never stops. Have you ever thought about that? You have sinned against an eternal God, so you are eternally in sin against that God. So the only way to fix that, you can't fix it, but God did something to fix it. He sent Christ, who is eternal. He's eternal God-man. But he's a man, so he could die and take the punishment. Uh, I mean, he could complete, fulfill the law, which Adam couldn't do, but the second Adam, Christ, did do. And now, since he did that, and died on the cross as our, in the place of us, as our sin, then now we can put our faith in him. And now, because of Christ's righteousness, it's like we're law keepers, but we're not. Does that make sense? So the, the use of the, the purpose of the law. So if you come to this church and I'm preaching like I am, and I'm talking about the law, and you say, well, I thought this is a New Testament church. It is. But you've got to understand the law and hear the law and be crushed by it before you'll know you need Christ. Okay? Have mercy on me, the Lord of Sabbath. Yeah, that's it. That's why in Romans, the first few chapters are dedicated to the depravity of man. And yes. Then he gets into why we need or Absolutely. Savior that we need. Absolutely. And uh, that's exactly right. And, and, so, and also, the Bible states that if we break one, we've broken them all. Yes. And so we're, That's what we're James said. Either way. Right. You know? Because you're because you're a lawbreaker. Yeah, and see you've the, offended the lawgiver, which is eternal. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your sins eternal. That's why we don't do like the Catholic Church and others put degrees on sin. Right. Well, here's the bad sin. No, if you're a lawbreaker, you've broken the law. You know, I always say this way: if you steal a piece of candy, what does that make you? A thief. You can steal a car or a piece of candy, you're still a thief. Yeah. We tend to say, well, that's not that bad. You know, but we've, I mean, all of us have probably done this. We try to do this with our kids. I know. You stole that. You lied to me. That makes you a liar. And I know it was a little lie, and it didn't seem like a big deal, but I don't want you to be a liar. So stop lying. But the problem is, if, and that's what, that's what James is saying. Okay, well, good. You, uh, you, you haven't made an idol and worshipped it, but you haven't cared for your, you haven't honored your mother and father. So you've broken that law, therefore you've broken all ten of the moral code because you're a lawbreaker. And now once you transgress the law, how do you get back on the other side? And you can't. 
it takes, uh, and this is the, you know, what the whole sacrificial system points out. You can't do it. It's going to have to be something else. The blood of something innocent has to pay for that which is guilty. And so it has happened in Christ. So the first use of the law is that. And that's what we're seeing here. The second use is kind of universal and just shows uh, sort of a standard. Now some of these, you might look this up if any of y'all actually go look stuff up after I see if I'm telling the truth. There might be some different uh, orders or this might be worded a little different. So a standard of right and wrong. Right? Wrong. Right. <laughs> exactly. So basically, we this is only some people are going to get this, but the whole world should know this. I mean, like people should know right now. Hey, killing other people is wrong. It's just the the law says it's wrong. You don't have to have that written anywhere. Yeah, and it should be. It's written in our heart. Yeah. Taking something that's not yours is written in your heart. But also, where it is written, you surely don't have an excuse. Which is what you know. I feel like God's greatest condemnation of Israel always has been. You had the law and the prophets. The Gentiles don't even have that. You had the angels, the laws and the prophets. You know, the angels delivering all those things. And yet you're still worshiping other gods. See number one. Yeah, that's right. And then, go back. And then finally, this is where it's, we need to really pay attention. Um, this is, uh, I don't know how to put this. Um, I, I don't like using this word, but it's a guide for believers. Probably a better way to put it, but. So in other words, and now you come down to, because there's things in the New Testament that's law. I mean, there's something that the Bible calls the law of Christ. So when Jesus says, hey, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, he's, that's law for us. Or follow me. Um, or, um, you know, the love the brethren, Probably worship. Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount gets really to the root of the sin because he does. He says, "You heard that it was said, you can't commit adultery, but you're not even supposed to lust after a woman." Right. So he gets to the root instead of just yeah. sin. He brings. He, that's right. He takes it back to the law written in your heart. Mm -hmm. So you think you haven't committed adultery, but you've thought about it. And here's the thing, God knows what you think about. And so, um, again, if you want to know what can I do to get to God, be perfect and don't sin. And that's, and, and that's what you got to hear, this. Well, I can't do that. Exactly. Nobody ever has. Adam couldn't do it. In, the, in what could be considered, I, I mean, that's perfect um, setting. He should have been able to obey, but he couldn't. One temptation. And I have to believe that the one, you know, because the New Testament says you're not tempted of God. You're tempted when you're drawn away by your own lust and enticed. So I think what Adam and Eve already wanted, they were already breaking, somehow breaking the law of God or thinking about breaking the law of God in their heart. And what we see played out in the garden was just all that coming to fruition. Well, they listened to the world rather than God. Yeah. Well, he wasn't Which tending. is what we all do as well. We, we yeah. try to base it against the world. He wasn't tending the garden like he should in the first place, right? And, and, that and woman protecting his wife. Well, and he wasn't protecting his wife. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. Well, she wasn't listening to what he was telling her about God. So we got this whole problem of circle. Yeah, but then, you know, Satan steps in and. Well, that's where it already failed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I think it's very important that we understand these, and, and this is still somewhat new to me. I, I mean, I wasn't taught this understanding, and, and I think I, you'll see our confession teaches this too as I keep reading it. But I think this is it's important to keep this, um, these. What's the word I'm trying to think of? This, this separation, but this understanding categories of the law. So this is the word I'm trying to think of. Because if you start mixing these up, and what you what you start getting is preaching that says, hey, if you don't, you know, they take the third use of the law, which is a guide for us. If you don't love the, the brethren like you're supposed to, then I'm not sure you're even saved. And see, and, but and then they, you get people doing that outwardly that really don't. Right. They're not doing it because it's coming from the heart. They're doing it outwardly because they think they're supposed. They to don't do what? Love brother. Oh, they're right. doing it outwardly. Right, because it, that kind of preaching will produce yeah, that. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. If you if you start collapsing these, then you get this mixed up with this. Right. And so suddenly you got people saying, "Well, God, the, you know, the preacher said this and that. I'm not doing that." So, and, and I and again. I'm guilty of having done this before and causing people to think, well, you're probably not even a Christian. You don't, you don't live like I do. You don't do this, this, and that, and you don't keep these. And so this is why it's so important to, first of all, when you preach the law, it condemns everybody. Mm-hmm. There's nobody not condemned. And that's proof of this. It is a standard of right and wrong. It is something we ought to be doing. None of us can, but it is a standard we should be doing. And then thirdly, for the church, and this is why we keep preaching the law and the gospel to the church, is, hey, here's the standard of righteousness. And we look at the Bible and we look at these things where, the, where we're getting these admonitions and instructions from the Lord to do and live a certain way. But what I do is always go back. I'd say, as a good preacher, I should say, here's what we're supposed to do. But we don't do it. So we got to go back up here, right? And I'm trying my best to always do that. Instead of getting down here and then crushing everybody, which I'd have to crush myself too, mm-hmm. then what I want to do is come back up here, but hey, here's the good news. Don't forget this. We're not under law. We're under gospel in the sense that we're not under law for a standard of how do I get to God? I have to keep the law and I've got to do all these things and practice the right things and be a church at the right time and yada, yada. No, that's not to get to Christ. Now, I need to do these things. I should worship. I should not forsake the fellowship the assembling together of the saints as some do. I should want to be in worship. I don't always want to be. So, you know, I it's think a lot of times though that, that third one there, when you when you are able to at least begin to confess that sin even to yourself. That right. you don't want it. Sometimes I don't want to be here. Right. Sometimes I you know, you, you start confessing that to yourself and that becomes that guidepost for you. Right. Because if you can't confess it to yourself, you certainly don't see your need for it. Yeah. And then we realize that just like in the garden, there was grace for not immediate death. There's grace in Christ right. for us. Absolutely. Just like that. Absolutely. And that's the whole the whole point. And that's the ark. That's yeah. the, that's our ark that takes us. And there are things that we should do. I mean it's not wrong to say I ain't read the Bible. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pray. But if you don't Love read the, the Bible every day, you're not going to go to hell. No. But again, no, if you're not confessing that to yourself, you don't see your sin. Right. And you're not wrestling with it. You're not beginning to try to pursue But for a long time, that's a, that's a lot of what, I mean, for most of us, I think if we can, if we can get the straight, and I'm not, I'm not uh, throwing rocks at other people because I used to be this kind of preacher. It's the only kind of preacher I knew to be. I thought I was supposed to be making people behave, you know. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And I didn't even, you know, never stop to think, well, you know, I'm behaving, but I ain't always wanting to. So that's got to be, and sometimes I ain't behaving, but nobody knows about it. That's right. You know. Because we check our lists, right? Yeah. And, and I'm looking for good, right? And that's the, that's the scary part of it. We can look that way like yes. Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that child, you know, whose mom told him to sit down, sit down, sit down, and he I'm never sitting, did. But he I'm finally, standing up on the inside. Yeah. I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's kind of the way, you know. Yeah. But, so anyways, any questions about this? Any questions? Y'all, right, brother? Oh. He's sick? He asked me if he was puking when he walked by. I said, I said, no, not as he was walking by. He might be in the room. He wasn't feeling good dinner. Really? He looked like he didn't fuck with him. Huh. He didn't sit right. Great. Oh, he did say something made him sick at at lunch today. All right. So. So with that understanding of the three uses of the law, it makes a lot more sense to me. Those categories help me figure out and understand what uh, somebody sick. Are you taking it home? I'm going to. I'll do it from here. By themselves? Okay. You can go out your troll. Like lay the hammer down. Okay. Hope you feel better, KJ. Goodness. See where I was at. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he something made him sick today. So I think he never got over it. All right. So I guess with that said, and this being, make, we're making sense out of this third use now. I want to come back to this real quick because the idea of, well, the Bible says we're not under law but under grace. What does that mean? Well, being reformed usually should mean that we're tri-covenantal, and I've talked to you about this before. And this is why I'm writing this down, so you can see it, because it, it looks like a bunch of schoolwork, but it's pretty important. We believe in, basically, the Bible has uh, for us three covenants. This makes us covenantal as Baptists. We believe in the covenant of redemption, which was made before the foundation of the world, within the Godhead, right? We've talked about this before. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made a plan that included creation and mankind and saving mankind. Before the foundation of the world. Before the world's even made. Before there were people, there was this covenant of redemption. So, and we see that in Ephesians 1. It talks about that. If you read Ephesians 1, it looks very clearly like, hey, something was going on before anything happened so that what did happen was already decreed to plan to happen, Right? And so part of, within that covenant of redemption, then with Adam came this covenant of works. And that's what we've been talking about. 
Adam was made under a covenant of works. And so I think that was pointed out here. Um, how did it say it? Um, by these, God obligated Adam and all his descendants to personal, total, exact, and perpetual obedience. He promised life if Adam fulfilled it and threatened death if he broke it. And he gave Adam the power and ability to keep the law. So we believe that there was a covenant of works by which if Adam would have not eaten the fruit and completely obeyed everything that God had commanded him to do, and somehow he would have got to the tree of life and he would have lived forever, right? That's the covenant of works. Now, because Adam broke that, and what we talked about earlier in chapter 3 of Genesis, then we have to have the covenant of grace, which I believe um, is what, why the Bible says we are not under law but under grace. We are under the covenant of grace. It doesn't mean we're not responsible to the law of God because we are. But we don't have to um, sacrifice animals. We don't have to keep, the, keep all the works that Adam was expected to keep because we know we can't and because Christ did. So we're under grace now. And the covenant of grace is a covenant by which God saves sinners freely. Adam broke it. Christ fulfilled it. Yes. And so from the time of the, the covenant of works was broken all the way till now, I mean, until Christ died, those, uh, the ceremonial laws, the sacrifice, all those things were done, as somebody pointed out earlier in Galatians, to show man his need for Christ, to bring him to Christ, to point to Christ, to eventually Christ fulfilled all of it. And he did fulfill all of it completely and perfectly. And Hebrews is so wonderful, the book of Hebrews, to point this out and to highlight that um, the law is perfectly kept by Christ. He did just as he said. He kept every... Not one little jot or tittle passed away until all is fulfilled and is fulfilled in Christ. And we'll talk about, uh, we'll see in the confession and talk about the fact, we, we hit this a little bit last week, the, the different, the separation within the law, the ceremonial law, judicial law, and the moral law. So we've been talking about the moral law already, right? The Ten Commandments sums up the moral law, the law written on our hearts, that's the moral law. But then, of course, God gave to Israel a judicial law that was only intended for Israel, the state of Israel, until it passed away. And we know that it passed away in the first century. We've been reading about that in Mark chapter 13, that uh, the Romans destroyed it. Babylon started it, and Rome finished it, and destroyed it. And the judicial law is over, which is why uh, we don't believe that we're under, we don't live by the judicial law. Now, as our confession will point out, in fact, let's just read that. Because it, uh, in addition to the law, the moral law written on the heart, God was pleased to give the people, this is section three, he was pleased to give the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typological ordinances. In some ways, these concerned worship by prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits. In other ways, they were reveal various instructions about moral duties. And since all these ceremonial laws were appointed until the new order arrived, or literally the Reformation arrived, not 
this, the the uh, one in the 1600s, but till Christ came, they are now abolished and taken away by Jesus as the true Messiah and only lawgiver. Now that's the ceremonial law. That is all the sacrifices and the feast days and the um, various ceremonial laws. But then in section four, he was also gave judicial laws to Israel, which ceased at the time their nation ended. These, law, these laws no longer obligate anyone as part of, the institute, of that institution. Only their general principles of justice continue to have moral value, right? And we talked about this a little bit. Much of our law in America comes from the general principle of injustice of the, the judicial law of Israel. But there's a lot of people that want to return to this and think that we should be under all the judicial law of Israel. But that's pretty, if you know much about the judicial law of Israel, you don't want to be under that. It's pretty harsh. <laughs> you know. So, you commit adultery, they drag you down the street and they stone you to death. That's the judicial law. And it was to show that God doesn't like sin and various things, but we, the general principle is we don't want that to happen and it shouldn't be, uh, that shouldn't be happening, but we're not going to kill people for it. And there's a lot of other things. You just go read it and you'll see. So the judicial law passed away. Um, it's some sects of people that believe that the laws need to be, we need to keep fulfilling the law, also do the ceremonial law, except for the sacrificial system. Yes. The hardest part is there are people believe that that's what's going to come when Christ comes back. More. Yeah. Well, and again, yeah, with um, what's the word I can't even think of? But that's what most people actually believe. A lot of people do. What's the word I'm trying to think of that's uh, wants everybody under the law again? Theonomy. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of people that think that theonomy is a big move toward that, and there are people that believe that. Uh, I mean, there, there's some, I, I, I don't want to speak for some of these movements because I don't know them all, but there are people that believe that eventually the gospel is going to win so much of the world that we'll kind of get back under this system of judicial, I don't know about the ceremonial, part of um, dispensationalism believes that when Christ comes back in a thousand year reign here on earth, there's going to be ceremonial law reinstituted, for what reason I can't really figure out, it's supposed to be a memorial for some reason, but... I'm just under the belief that this ended, this was given specifically to Israel, just like the land promises. They were given to Israel. They passed away when Israel went away. They didn't come back in the 50s when Israel was a state, its own state again. They're not living under this. And they're not living under this, by the way. They're not killing animals and sacrificing animals. And they're not living under this judicial law. I think that's gone. And all that was based on the moral law. It came out of the moral law of God. But the moral law is still intact. And we still are responsible for it in these three uses, right? So when I say three uses of the law, I'm not talking about these two. I'm talking about this one. You know? So I'm not going to preach about how to find a good unblemished sheep when you get home to go <laughs> cut his throat. You know, That part of the law I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the moral law, the, the standards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great altar. We could have burned a lot of sheep on that thing. But 
Testament said that was what God was doing, propitiating for sin yeah. as he was not this is not the right word, but kinda as he overlooked sin until mm-hmm. until the Christ right. came. Because it was never sufficient. Right. right? So, on that. so when the when the when Christ died on the cross, the whole thing was ripped apart, that right. big old curtain. Right. We now can see right. that he is our Way in Hebrews, uh, yeah, and again, the book of Hebrews points that out so beautifully. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can't understand why anybody thinks we want to go back to any of this. Christ fulfilled all of it. What the what uh, man could not do, what the priest could not do through the blood of bulls and goats, Christ has done. Well, yeah. What kills me is that people are actually thinking that they were going to go back to that had they not read Hebrews, where, where the writer of Hebrews is saying, we had this as a picture, but now we've got the real thing. Yes. Why would we want to go back to that? Because right. that's why he was writing the letter right. was to say that you know, don't go back to that. But we've got two thousand years later, we're still dealing with the Right. We still want to work our way to God. Yeah. Well, it makes me think. I've said this before. It makes me think it's the same error the Pharisees fell into. Yeah. They didn't see that. Um, they didn't. They were looking, and really, a lot of the followers of Christ, at least the fake followers, and at first the real followers, they were looking for a different kind of savior. And so, to me, when you're saying we got to go back to that, and we got to rebuild the temple, what kind of savior are you looking for? I mean, Jesus fulfilled every bit of the temple. He fulfilled every bit of the law, judicial and ceremonial. And that's why he said, none of the law is going to pass away until all is fulfilled. And what's interesting is, right after he said that, Matthew five. You have the Sermon on the Mount, which is nothing but moral law. So I think, obviously, he fulfilled these two, and he fulfills the moral law, too, but this is the one we're still under and accountable to. Anyways, let's look at this last little piece before we go. Uh, Section 5. The moral law forever requires obedience of everyone. We've talked about that. Both those who are justified as well as others. Justified is just a word for those of us who are Christians. We've been justified. The obligation, this obligation arises not only because of its content, but also because of the authority of God, the creator who gave it. Nor does Christ in any way dissolve this obligation of the gospel. Instead, he greatly strengthens it. So in other words, Christ nowhere said, oh, don't worry about the law. Shoot, it's good. You're all right. No, and that, in fact, that's why he kept calling people. You want to see what you've got to do to get to heaven? You want eternal life? Keep the law. The law is important. The law matters. But, of course, he knew that people couldn't, and he was pointing out that fact. Um, well, let me just read these last two sections. i got time to read them at least. True believers are not under the law as a covenant of works. So that's, you know, we're talking about that. Here we are again right here. We're not under the law as a covenant of works. 
to be justified or condemned by it. Because the truth is, the only thing we can be by the law is condemned. <laughs> Nobody's going to be justified by the law. Yet it's very useful to them and to others as a rule of life that informs them of the will of God and their duty. It directs and obligates them to live according to its precepts. So which, which section is that? That's three, right? It's a guide for believers. It also exposes the sinful corruptions of their natures, hearts, and lives. And as they examine themselves in the light of the law, they come to further conviction of, humiliation for, and hatred of sin, along with a clearer view of their need for Christ and the perfection of his obedience. The law is also useful to the regenerate to restrain their corruption because it forbids sin. The punishment threatened by the law shows them that even their sins, even what that them what even their sins deserve and what troubles they may expect in this life due to their sin, even though they are freed from the curse and undiminished severity of it. In other words, there is therefore no now there is therefore now no condemnation of those of us in Christ. But if you sin, your sin may cost you. It won't cost you eternal life, but it could. You're right. That's what it's saying. So you might get in dire straits and get in trouble. Uh, and you may have to pay for what you did to be in trouble. But if you belong to Christ and your faith is in him for your salvation, you don't get your salvation revoked. Okay, that's what it's saying. But, but uh, it goes on, the promises of the law likewise showed them God's approval of obedience and the blessings they may expect when they do keep the law, even though these blessings are not owed to them by the law as a covenant of works. If people do good and refrain from evil because the law encourages good and discourages evil, that does not indicate that they are under the law and not under grace. So in other words, as I said, we are not under law but under grace. But the law still is our guide. And we still should see it and preach it and understand that the law is important. And, and here's the thing. If you don't have Christ, you're under the law. I mean, in the law, you're condemned by the law. And until you see, until the law opens, or uh, through the preaching of the law, God opens your eyes to see your need for Christ, then you will be condemned by the law. So, uh, because it's, the, it's God's standard of righteousness. But the, um, those of us who see, I can't keep it. I need something, I need something otherworldly to fix me. That's when you look to Christ and say, okay. So God, through the covenant of redemption, has uh, because in that Ephesians one man is powerful. It it talks about how God made all the not only the way of the way to grace. I mean the the grace itself in Christ, but He also makes the way to grace, right? So God ordains not only um, the end, but He ordains the ways and the methods. Preaching, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach without they be sent? So we preach the gospel knowing, and we also preach the law to get to the gospel so that people understand the need for Christ. This chapter is uh, important. and um, Well, let me just read the last one. We'll close. These, the uses of the law that we've just been reading are not contrary to the grace of the gospel, but are in sweet harmony with it. For the Spirit of Christ subdues and enables the human will to do freely and cheerfully what the will of God as revealed in the law requires. There you go. How do you do what God calls us to do when you're made willing to do it? <laughs> and only then. And even then, we sometimes uh, have trouble. Some day, sometimes we're willing, sometimes we're not. Any questions about any of that?
I hope that helped. Mm-hmm. It's uh, we did get through a lot of stuff. I don't know if we get through all that. So, so I want you to hear that. If, if I speak of the law of God, I'm talking about the moral law, unless I specifically point out something ceremonial or judici- judicial, which I would rarely do. So, all right, well, let's pray. Father, we love you. I pray you give everybody a, a great rest of the week and a good weekend, and uh, just protect us all. And bless us in our homes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.